Listen for a word of God from Matthew chapter 14, beginning with verse 14. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them, and he cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go to the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, We have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. The Word of God. When Jesus sat on the hillside with the disciples and a hungry crowd, the problem is completely familiar to us today. People need food. This, where I'm sitting today, is the equivalent of the engine room of Food Pantry Plus. This is sort of command central, the room where it happens. This is what it looks like when fish and loaves are blessed and multiplied. Beans and rice and lentils and peanut butter and canned corn and milk and whatever Feeding America, the food bank, has to offer us this month. Wednesday this week, the food boxes included produce from Overflow Farms, celery and carrots and onions and garlic and squash and eggplant, an entire garden actually of beautiful fresh produce. We've come to the second half now of the Lord's Prayer in this series, Honest to Jesus, where the petitions we pray are as practical as sleep and water and food. Matthew 6 verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread has always been my favorite part of the prayer because as kids, I, we could understand daily bread. We couldn't understand hallowed and will and kingdom and debtors, but bread, you've got my attention. It turns out this part of the prayer, I, I could understand it as, as a kid. It has a 2,000-year history of riddling smart people. If you want to nerd out a little bit, this is the part of the Lord's Prayer to nerd out. Daily bread. Daily it's the only time this word is used in Scripture, and it, and it sounds simple until you open your Bible and you read. Get your Bible translation and a few other options, and you'll begin to see that sometimes it's translated differently. There will be notes in the footnotes or in the center of your Bible. If you're a student of Scripture, this is a good one to practice on. Look at the notes. The New Revised Standard Version says that this verse should say, Give us today our bread. Give, uh, I'm sorry. Give us bread for tomorrow. That's the New Revised Standard Version. The Contemporary English Version says in the footnotes, give us food for today, food for tomorrow, and for the coming day, food for what we need. It kind of covers all the bases. Other translations are silent in the footnotes because they put their idea in the text itself by the way they choose to translate the text. The Contemporary English Bible says, give us the bread we need for today. The King James Version says, give us day by day our daily bread. And Eugene Peterson, in the message paraphrase, he strikes it out of the park again. Keep us alive with three square meals. What kind of bread is it? Why is it translated in slippery ways? This is likely a word understood in Jesus' time in their language, but a little wiggly in our languages in our time. And 2,000 years of study and research and databases and deep dives into linguistics and languages, you either find that fascinating or dreary. It hasn't helped us much on this word daily bread. Why do I even mention this this week? 
because for a thousand years or more, daily bread was spiritualized. We need spiritual food. Jesus is the bread of life. We need more Jesus. And okay, I won't argue, we need more Jesus. Also then, we don't really need to worry about these boxes here in the food pantry. We can simply concentrate on Jesus a little more. Other teachers focused on daily bread as a metaphor for the feasting tables of heaven one day and the hope promote the vision of heaven one day where no one goes hungry. Give us our tomorrow bread today. Is it the end of the story yet? Okay, I wouldn't argue that Jesus points us to God's future table where eventually everyone eats until they're satisfied and also I don't really need these food boxes then. I could push these aside and simply direct people to a vision of the heaven, heavens one day made, made over here in the earth. What does it matter how we understand daily bread? That day on the hillside, people with excessive needs followed Jesus. People on furlough from jobs and people with sickness. People not, not allowed back in their homes and people who slept outside the temple gates night after night. People who gave all they had to the temple tax and to Rome and to the landlords. People too dirty even for the priests and the scribes to fix. Tiberius, the emperor, has He's commercialized the lakes, and the lakes control the industry, and with this he taxes the people. People are pushed out of their crafts and their trade, fishing and farming and making and selling their goods, and here comes Herod, competing with his father, Herod, for his father's legacy to make his own name great. He exploits whatever is left for his own expansion and good. The locals no longer have fish to catch and sell, no longer have income to buy bread for their children. Herod? owns their destiny as well as their stomachs. These are the crowds following Jesus that day. As, as it grew late in the day, the problem on the horizon is supper time. The disciples interrupt Jesus and suggest he send the crowds home. They, they're a ways out of town. It's been nice, Jesus, but it's over. Send the people home so they can eat. Uh, the suggestion stirred a two-line response from Jesus. They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Every time this story is told, and it's a good old favorite told in all four Gospels and two more times outside of the Bible, every time this story is told, it's the same predicament. The people are hungry, and there's not enough food. There are two solutions offered that day. The disciples' solution is send them away, and Jesus' solution, you give them bread. There's opposition and confrontation between Jesus and the disciples, tension between the solutions proposed. When Mark tells the story, the disciples actually get out a calculator and say, you want us to spend this much of our wages on the food, Jesus? This is what it will cost us to feed the people. A few questions I have. If the crowd goes home hungry, what's the worst that could happen? People will say Jesus and his disciples aren't such good hosts. I mean, they didn't invite the crowds. If they go home hungry, they'll be only hungry for a few hours. Truthfully, some of them probably packed a little basket of food, Jewish food laws. If they go home hungry, what's the problem? Jesus did heal their bodies, at least. They can walk and see and hear. They got their miracles. Look, we can be real. I'm trying to compose this sermon during a week where I've been grumbling about eating leftovers for the third time. I'm praying the Lord's Prayer eight months into food hoarding in the grocery stores. We've been through what we've been through. I remember a woman early in pandemic who couldn't find eggs in the store, who, 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 who was so out of her mind. Where are the eggs? Pandemic, someone said. Does that mean no eggs? Yep, where you been? 
Like, we are eight months into this experience of food hoarding when there were plenty of turnips and beets and pickled asparagus, but not one loaf of bread. Let's be real when we pray this prayer that we live in a Costco-sized world with Instacart on standby with well-stocked pantries. I grew up in a home with a freezer in the house and one out in the garage. And I read a rather pointed opinion in the last couple of weeks. Maybe the well-fed people should be quiet and listen to the hungry people pray the Lord's Prayer. Can we even pray this prayer in well-fed America? The Lord's Prayer is like a coin, many have suggested. Uh, have you ever seen a one-sided coin? You can't separate the coin. It necessarily has two sides. People have used this coin as a device. When, when the coin is flipped up this way, I will pray for the world. And when the coin is flipped over this way, I'll focus my prayer on family. You can use the prayer coin in a variety of ways. What I'd like to suggest for a moment is that the Lord's Prayer is a two-sided coin and that it involves God on one side and us on the other. I've been asking this question of us for a few weeks. Are we praying for God's intervention or is God praying for our collaboration? God intervene, humans collaborate. We're definitely to the part of the Lord's Prayer that involves human collaboration. Notice Jesus creates food not from scratch, not from the snap of his fingers. He takes what already exists, what the people already have, and he puts it back in their hands for distribution. The estimates are that 20,000 people actually ate that day with baskets of leftover. We are to the human collaboration part of the Lord's Prayer. So I sit in kind of our command central for Food Pantry Plus with deep gratitude for the people of this ministry who without question and judgment have a regular rhythm of Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Wednesday by Wednesday by Wednesday they come. This ministry collect, connected deeply to the expansion at the Wellness Warehouse. Thank you. Truthfully, Food Pantry Plus, this is not contentious. It's not a contentious collaboration. No one's upset we're offering food in the neighborhood. No, no one's upset at the swell of food pantries in Riverside County the past six months because people have lost wages and they need food. But let's go in a little bit deeper, church, shall we? Do we offer food to citizens or undocumented persons? Uh, we turn up the heat. Do, do, do we know they're not abusing our the system going to this food pantry and then stopping at several others, we turn up the heat a little bit. Social services, there are social workers here every Wednesday to connect people to care options in the community. They're called entitlement programs run by the government. Turn up the heat a little bit. We connect people to health insurance and to supplemental nutrition assistance, the SNAP program. Turn up the heat a little bit. If we thought we were just giving out boxes of beans and rice, we should talk a little more. In fact, we can turn up the heat a lot. Martin Luther, our Protestant parent, of whom we are so proud, he says of this one petition in the Lord's Prayer, give us our daily bread, he says actual long paragraphs ought to be said and written. He's writing to us in 1529, right? And he says a small bit of what he says, when you pray for daily bread, you pray for everything that is necessary in order to have and enjoy daily bread. And on the other hand, you pray against everything which interferes with it. Therefore, you must open wide your thoughts and not only to the oven or the flour bin, but to the, the distant field and the entire land, which brings everything forward to da daily bread and every sort of sustenance. 
This petition includes everything that belongs to our entire life. It's not only necessary that our body have food and covering, he says, but also that we spend our days in peace and quiet among the people with whom we live and have daily business and conversation and all sorts of doings. Whatever pertains both to domestic life and neighborly life and civil relation in the government, for where these things are hindered, life cannot be maintained. Luther goes on to say, for though we have received of God all good things in abundance, we're not able to retain any of them or use them in security and happiness if He did not give us a permanent and peaceful government. <sighs> Four, where there are dissension, strife, and war, there the daily bread is already taken away or at least checked. Does that make the rest of you tremble along with me? I must open my thoughts wide to include the land and the fields and the waterways and the resources of the earth and the way we use them and the people who grow and harvest on our behalf. I, I must open my mind wide to the, the network of relationships from plot to plant to plate. I must open my thoughts wide to businesses and conversations and civil leaders and peace and war. All are connected in the act of us having daily bread. When we say everything's relational, it's because it really is. If I then were to paraphrase this phrase, give us our daily bread, I might say, give us daily relationships that make sharing meals a peaceful reality. Friends, among disciples of Jesus, there were widespread gaps of dissension regarding solutions for them, and for us, long before election cycle 2020, we are not different than Jesus and the disciples on the hillside. Send them away, you feed them. Send them away, you feed them. We're not different. Wide gaps of tension, so wide that we're struggling to talk to each other in healthy ways. The best most of us are doing right now is not talking about it. Thank God for the Dodgers. At least we have that to distract us. This week, our country is looking to reunite 545 children with their parents. We learned that these parents are mostly from Central American countries, and we struggle to talk about it in our families and with our friends. And as disciples of Jesus, we can't talk about 545 children caught in the middle. The best most of us are doing right now is not talking about it, withdrawing, staying to ourselves. When I was a child, we took a family vacation across the border. I remember the details of this adventure as much as any trip our parents took us on. I wanted to spend my vacation money on a handmade paper mache flower from this lady sitting in the middle of the street underneath an umbrella. My father was concerned that the woman was a beggar. I was certain she was kind, older, and in need. There was a gap, some tension. She's selling Wrigley's gum and soda, my father said, and she probably isn't telling you the whole truth. She probably has money. She, she probably makes her money off people just like you. The flowers are 25 cents, I told my dad, and they're so beautiful. They were stunning. You could watch her weave them with her hands right in front of you in the street. My father wanted me to know the world is complicated and discernment is needed. And I had no idea there could be any other response than being drawn in by this woman. Jesus warned us we would have gaps of division and tension, that there, there are two sides on this coin. How will we navigate our side of the coin if we can't close the gap of tensions between us? 
We're living through a season in America right now, and it taxes our attention, and it drains our empathy, and it challenges our, our staying power, and it, it tempts us to retreat. Truthfully, church family, we're living through a season that blurs the lines for the disciples of Jesus. Many of you have sent messages of exhaustion and over the, over the last few weeks and months and frustration over artificial lines we're creating among ourselves. When, when did we learn to, to disrespect one another so deeply? When did we learn to hold such disdain? When did we learn to detest one another? And, and we're reaching for help, articles and podcasts and TED Talks, anything to soothe and navigate. There are absolutely distorted versions of Christianity in our world right now reducing the concerns to two or three societal issues. I, I see versions of distorted Christianity, apparently Christianity that hasn't yet heard the stories Jesus tells. Through the rearview mirror one day in history, we will eventually see what role did Christians play in God's world? Were we, where were we on enslaving people? Where were we on world wars? Where were we on Jim Crow, on stewarding God's earth and sky? Where were we on care for prisoners, widows, orphans, aliens? Those groups of people, prisoners, widows, orphans, and aliens, Jesus would have those groups mingling through his mind. In the Old Testament, they're mentioned so often. When Jesus teaches the disciples to pray, he absolutely has those groups of people in his mind. Give them their daily bread. So I selected this prayer for these weeks because Jesus focuses us when the world's gone nuts. We're, we're not talking about parties and platforms and candidates. We're talking about the Holy One. And when we confuse the two, God forgive us. If Martin Luther is right, speaking to us from the 16th century, all the topics are on the table when we pray the prayer for daily bread. We pray for everything that is necessary in order to have and enjoy daily bread. And on the other hand, we pray against everything that would interfere with it. For where there's dissension and strife and war, the daily bread is already taken away or at least checked. Jesus was concerned about all that interfered with the daily bread too. That's what was happening, by the way, that day on the hillside. See, Rome doesn't crucify people because you ask them to stock a food pantry or create partnerships, charitable partnerships in the community. Rome crucifies when you claim that the food and the earth and the people and the world belong to God, not Rome. Rome crucifies Jesus because Jesus insists God is the owner of it all. God sits on the throne, not Caesar. It's never just about food. It's about just food. The kingdom of heaven exists on earth when everyone eats. The will of God is realized when everyone eats. The name of God is hallowed when everyone eats. So around here, we're not actually boxing up generosity or packaging charity of some kind. Every box we distribute, we are making a bold claim about God's ownership of everything. 570 families were fed the month of September out of this room. Every box of food came stamped with a claim of heaven, the claim from heaven that all people eat. Whether I boxed the food or whether I received the food on behalf of this church family, the outrageous claim is the same. God owns it all. God owns it all. We belong to God. And the will of God is that people eat. 
the miracle on the hillside that day with Jesus and the disciples is actually not that the loaves and the fishes multiply. The miracle is that the, the, the disciples collaborate, that people made room for God to be God. Truthfully, truthfully, I will always be God's most complicated, dramatic partner. Humans will always be the difficult part of the equation, the difficult side of the coin. Will humans allow God to be God? Because give them something to eat wins out every other proposed solution. Once in a sermon many years ago, the opening line was, everyone has a table. And I described a scene around a table, a meal time. Everyone has a table. No, pastor, they don't. Someone came to me right down the center aisle at the conclusion of the service forcefully. No, they don't. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know my story. Over a pot of black beans and rice, enough to feed 50 people, by the way, I listened. You don't know what you're talking about. Let me tell you about fleeing a dictator. Let me tell you about leaving home with no promise of enough to eat. No, pastor, you don't know what you're talking about. Not everyone has a table. Thank you, Horda Duran. This is the only way I know of closing the gap is sitting still long enough to ask one another, simply ask the question, tell me a story about your life. We probably don't know, need to know people's convictions, but we need to know why they feel the way they feel. So my first practical suggestion today, ask someone to tell you a story about their life. Why did my father think the woman in the street was going to rip me off? Tell me, Dad, where, where and when did, that, did you learn that? When someone tells you their strong conviction, ask them to tell you a story. Number two, Maybe as a family, make a wise choice you can do from your home to impact food around our neighborhood, around the world, more peaceable food available in the community, in the world. As a family, make one choice. How could we make food available more peacefully? And third, pray the Lord's Prayer. Because it's in praying this prayer that the Spirit changes us. None of this prayer is to talk God into doing something. This is something nice or to bend God's will. God knows what we need before we ask it. We're not announcing nice things to God. We're declaring necessary things to ourselves. It's like a feedback loop when I pray the Lord's Prayer. I hear myself say it out loud again and again. Jesus knows what we need. Now I need to be persuaded. This is about God's food in God's world for God's people. There is already plenty, and God is the owner of it all. Amen.